All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Welcome to Brand New Information, a pop culture and political podcast. I'm Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life. I'm Jay of First Ascent Podcast. Each week, I'll teach my sister about politics. And I'll teach my brother about pop culture. And, you know, we probably won't break the news. But you can count on us to put it back together for you. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wake up, because we have a book to review. We are now a book review podcast. We are? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't get the memo. I know. I didn't read the book. You did read the book. Well, we listened. Is that the same? Is reading and listening to the book the same? I read the Cliff Notes. Cliff? Cliff's Notes. The Cliff's Notes? Yeah. I read the Choose Your Own Adventure. What happens in the end of yours? (laughs) You're like, I chose addiction. Well, I (laughs) I decided to explore the mine and then (laughs) you were the dork that read those (laughs) (laughs) i love those i didn't my choose your own adventure would be like hmm which store are we gonna shop in today (laughs) okay no we are reviewing matthew perry's book friends lovers and the big terrible thing and we will reveal what the big terrible thing is at the end of this podcast Choose your own adventure. <laughs> it's smelly cat. It's gout. <laughs> he never had gout. That's one thing he I, never had. No, that is one thing he never had. No, it's a colostomy bag. That's the big terrible thing. <laughs> oh, they kept breaking on it. <gasps> Spoiler alert, there will be spoilers. Oh, yeah. We will tell you what happens in this book. The first spoiler is that, yes, he did get the job of Chandler on Friends. He did. He was the last one hired. He was, although the role was basically written for him. I know. I think he informed a lot of the role. He was attached to the show, what was it, LAX 2142 or something? Yeah, where it was. About space age baggage handlers (laughs) who... Are like little people. Wait, they were little people? The baggage handlers? That doesn't seem like very good casting. 
Oh, and that's the problem. Like, <laughs> Not that they were space age. <laughs> no, there were little people. And he had to wear like a space suit yeah. or like a space age suit. Yeah, he was like, God, I can't audition for friends like us because I'm in LAX 2472 being a space age baggage handler. <laughs> and it was called Friends Like Us. And then Justin Timberlake said, drop the like us. It's cleaner. <laughs> Justin Timberlake did. (laughs) Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Let's start in Canada. On day one. He's from Canada, Jay. He is from Canada. I didn't realize it, and I didn't realize his mom was press secretary to former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. Yeah, I didn't either. That was brand new information. That was brand new information. He was also, like, nationally ranked in junior tennis. I did know that. I did too, because he was also on 90210. I knew that. I also knew that he was on the West Wing. He was, and he was nominated for an Emmy. Did he win? No, he never won an Emmy. He was nominated a bunch of times. Okay. I think he's nominated like nine times. Okay, so he had a troubled childhood, so his parents got divorced when he was really little, like yeah. two. Too little for it to really matter. I don't think that's true because he said, this is what really got me. And Jay and I both listened to this book. So I I highly recommend listening to it. I think he reads it really well. And there's just, I really liked it. So he always wished for his parents to get back together for every like birthday. That was his wish. And I think I can relate to that so much. Jay, did you wish for our parents to get back together? Nah, not really. You didn't? No, I do remember having dinner with mom and dad 10 years after they got divorced. And then I was like, this is so weird. I can't even imagine them together. And then I was like, that's so weird that I'm thinking it's so weird. (laughs) It's always weird as a divorced kid that you are just by design in the middle of your parents. And so anytime like mom and dad would like get together, I'd, I felt like I'd have to be like, mom, I don't know if you've met my dad, dad, this is my mom. She likes, you know, like I'd have to like, let me do a dance for the family. So they pay attention to me and don't fight. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'd have to like introduce them and like, be like, oh, mom, dad is liking this, you know? And oh, dad, mom likes this. I remember you doing that. And I remember just thinking like. That's really sad. <laughs> it was just, we were always the links in between our parents. I don't think that Matthew Perry was because his parents moved far apart where his dad lived in LA, his dad being uh, an actor, right. struggling actor. And the big traumatic experience he had in his childhood was that he flew as an unaccompanied minor on the plane. Yeah. From Canada to L.A. Mm-hmm. At five. At five. Is that too young for that? Of course. I have a five-year-old and I can't, I cannot imagine putting Evie? her on a plane. Yeah. I can't imagine Evie going downstairs to get something on her own and getting it successfully and coming back up. That's nothing against so Evie. you see That's that as being a traumatic? five-year-old. A five-year-old doesn't know what the hell's going on, like, ever. Like, they they just are figuring out this kind of, this world. Like, they don't know what the hell's going oh, on. Oh, they also gave him benzos as a baby. <gasps> yeah, what about that? Yeah, he was crying so much, which, uh, yeah, that's kind of what babies do. So they're like, let's give him some benzos. And then they would laugh when he would pass out. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take, like, too much of a degree in psychotherapy to draw a line from that to being the funny guy on Friends. I like that he was like, you know, my parents gave me benzos when I was three months old or three weeks old or something. He's like, I'm not blaming my parents for becoming a drug addict, but I'm like, you totally are, which, like, you probably should. You're also not not blaming them. Yeah, and you kind of are and you should well actually isn't that part of the memoir like just the memoir genre it's like okay time to blame the parents like if i wrote a memoir i'd blame my parents for sure i'm writing a memoir and i'm blaming my parents (laughs) (laughs) 
you <gasps> are writing a memoir. I better have like a huge part in it and come out smelling like roses. <laughs> You're going to come out smelling like a colostomy bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, but going back to the parents being like him being the link between his divorced parents, I think he still did play that role because he said the next time they were in the same room with him was when he woke up from his coma. That was like, you know, when he was in his 40s. That was the next time his parents were in the same room. I can't remember. Was this when his colon exploded? When he literally had colon blow? Not the cereal, the uh, <laughs> the actual the actual thing. I think so. I don't know. There are a lot of like in rehab, out of rehab. Okay, so this is a Washington Post article. It said half of his life spent in and out of treatment or sober living centers, 14 stays in rehab, 65 times in detox, beginning at age 26. Didn't he say he spent like $9 million yeah, on recovery? $9 million on recovery. So he goes back and forth between his childhood and then getting to LA and starting acting and then getting friends and being in friends. And then also like kind of his rock bottom moment of his colon bursting. So the way it was structured was confusing to me because he was in and out of rehab. It seems like the colon exploding (laughs) was the rock bottom, but then he went but he had relapses after that. Right. Well, and it sounds like he- like the timeline is screwy and I, I I didn't know where rock bottom was. So first it was the struggle with alcohol, which is most of the friends years. But then he had a jet ski accident when he was filming a movie. Fools Rush In. Yeah, I think that's what he was filming. And then he discovered Vicodin. So then he kind of would always go back and forth between alcohol, Vicodin. There was cocaine in there. But those were, that was also the friends. Yeah, yeah. And he also said, I was never a cocaine guy. But then he was like, when I was taking cocaine. And he said he was never. contradicted He said he was, he never did heroin, which is. uh, Yeah, because he was afraid of needles. No, not because he was afraid of needles. He was afraid of heroin and that. Oh, (laughs) right. I missed that. (laughs) Oh, my God. But that's why, because that's generally where if you're addicted to Vicodin or Oxy, that's the next step because it's cheaper and easier to get. Well, and right, easier to get for most normal people. But when he was really in the depths of his addiction, he could get whatever he wanted because he was famous. Yes. But also, okay, so this takes me back to the rock bottom. So he would have a surgery, like he had the surgery on his stomach or whatever. I don't know exactly what, but then the doctors would then prescribe him Vicodin and painkillers because he would complain about his stomach hurting when it didn't. And so then he would get hooked on that again. It seems like there was just a whole lot of years with a whole lot of drugs and alcohol. And he was, he said he would be sober for like two years. There were a lot of stints of sobriety. And then he would fall off. And then he said he would do this drink and cocaine for six days, knowing that, or for one day or something, knowing that he would have to spend seven days in, in detox. And so that sounds like that was just like a cycle. The only structure I got to the whole thing was when he said, on Friends, if he was heavy, he was drinking. If he was thin, he was on pills. And if he had a goatee, he was on a lot of pills. Which is season, was that season three? I think season three is when he gets the thinnest. He said he got to- 128. What was it? 128. And his highest was 220. Like he had, there's a hundred pound swing in Chandler- during the seasons. Yeah. He does mention the change between, is it season six and season seven? I think that's the engagement. Where he's literally wearing the same clothes. Yeah. So that's when he proposes to Monica with that big orange shirt, which <laughs> the girls' clothes and friends kind of hold up. I mean, some of them are questionable, but man, the the guys' fashion and friends do not. They just don't hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Their fashion doesn't isn't relevant now because I need to totally re- rework <laughs> like my the giant wardrobe. button down where it's like almost down yeah. to his knees, like it's so so yeah. oversized. 
That's literally half the shirts in my closet. I know. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Yeah, so that that's where you can really see in the episode where he proposes to Monica because that it's a season ender. And so between that last episode and then the first season of the seventh episode, he loses 50 pounds. And it's the same shirt. It's supposed to be the same night. Yeah, it's it's not even the same guy. But he did say he was never drunk on the set of Friends. And he said he was like, I was a part of the Yankees. Like he said, I was the second baseman for the Yankees. Like I would never screw that up. But he said he was often very hungover. But also Jennifer Aniston went into his trailer and said, you're drinking again and we can smell it on yeah. you. But I think that's even hungover. But I guess if he's hungover, yeah. you could still you could, smell the alcohol. Yeah. She seemed like she was really trying to help him. She didn't know how, but she seemed like really sweet to him. And he mentioned many times that Friends was such a cash cow that nobody wanted to mess with it, upset anything with Friends. So they just basically enabled him. And that was as I progressed in the book, I started really seeing just the levels of people enabling him. Yeah. To continue. And I can't really put my finger on it, but it's almost like he doesn't even recognize how enabled he was while he's writing the book. Because he was on Friends? You don't think that he he recognizes that or he kind of calls that out? I mean, he talks about these treatment centers that he goes to and that somebody makes a mistake and puts him on 10% of something he's supposed to be on. And he's like criticizing them. It's like, yeah, okay, that's a bummer. But you can also spend $10,000 a week at a treatment center and a lot of people can't. Yeah. I, I don't think he recognizes really his privilege throughout the whole thing. And he sounds, especially when he complains about the service he gets because of his privilege, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah. It seems to me like he has a love-hate relationship with it. I think he loves the money. Because he does talk a lot about money and, like, what he has. Like another house. Like, I was at this other house. And, the like, the one guy never paid him back his $100,000 or $500,000 yes. or whatever it was. He was like, I was making a million dollars a week. He talks a lot about money and kind of things. in like, when he was talking about his car that you have to tell the car to start because he was, because on, I was friends. on friends. Yeah. That was a good line. Yes, some of it I think is tongue-in-cheek and that you could tell he's aware of that, but you can also tell that he likes that. And it didn't come across to me that he doesn't like to be famous. I think he does like to be famous, and I think he does like to be relevant. Well, that's the other part that for me, I was really into the book at the start because I was like, I'm going to hear about Friends. And I really like the parts that were behind the scenes on Friends, but as it went on and like he's not on friends anymore and he just make keeps making these movies that are progressively worse and worse and he's like now i'm going to write a screenplay now i'm a yeah screenwriter you know he, like and he wrote I a play he wrote a play that was in london's west end yeah and then it tanked in in new york in broadway yeah and he's like trying to stay relevant yeah. but it's very clear that he's not anymore yeah it got depressing for me because i i, I felt like the book was showing things about Matthew Perry that he wasn't intending, and it was sad. It's hard to separate Matthew Perry from Chandler Bing because Chandler Bing, like, even if a Joey wrote this book, I could believe it more, (laughs) you know? I could believe that Joey kind of had this going on behind the scenes. But to think about Chandler having this behind the scenes, Chandler had like no- And how he slept with so many women. So many, after being impotent, P.S. Which, yeah, there's that whole thing. There were, like he was like impotent for like years. No, but he wasn't though. He just thought he was. And it was because he was drinking too many beers before it was time to perform. That's why? Yeah. To me, it sounded like he just was so much in his head. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) That like he just couldn't. And then it wasn't until it was Natalie Wood's daughter, right? Who got him out of that. He does name names too in this book. He talks about dating Julia Roberts. He broke up up with with Julia Roberts. 
And then when she won her Oscar. She sounds so cool and smart. Yeah. I was hearing this, like, because she's like, send me a dissertation on theoretical physics. Yeah. And then and then he did. He did. I was so into Julia Roberts. I was beforehand, but like after the book, like she I, sounds, she's so cool. Yeah, she sounds so cool. And then when, when she was winning her Oscar for Aaron Brockovich, he was laying in like a rehab bed. And then remember he made this joke. He's like, fine, I'll take you back. <laughs> I'm like, jeez. It got really dark. And of course, I mean, it's a yeah. story of addiction and recovery and addiction and recovery. Of course, it's going to get dark. But I don't feel like he ever, did he ever really bottom out? He always had people around him to help. He always had people there to pick up the pieces. He had a sober companion, which what is that? I think that's someone who lives with you when you're rich. I think that someone who lives with you, who is with you all the time to coach you through your sobriety and to like help you with your triggers and like, yeah. But is this a professional or is it just a person who's a, well, it's, he, it, at first I was like, is that a dog? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I thought it was like a seeing eye dog or something, but like a, no, but it was clear that it was a person. It was a sober canine. I, <laughs> And he had like that friend that he would always talk about, Jamie, something who she seemed to call him out on his shit a lot. Like she said, you're disappearing. Yeah. And then he dumped her. I know he did. He dumps like he is just totally the guy who has major FOMO, who wants bigger and better all the time, who if he's dating the hottest girl in a room, if he walks into the next room and sees a hotter girl. He wants her and he's going to dump the other one. Like it seems like it's never good enough and it's all rooted in his insecurity because he's he talks about his insecurity all the time that he's not good enough. Do you think that's where the addiction came from? Yes. I think that's where pretty much all addictions come from. Insecurity or the FOMO thing where you're always trying to like reach the next? I think most addiction comes from the this inner knowing that you're not good enough and so then there's so much shame and judgment in that that you drink or do drugs to quiet that voice because that's a really hard thing to look at he was definitely doing a lot to just quiet whatever was going on in his mind but he was yeah. in therapy a lot like he had so much support I would have felt better about the book and less like as I was listening to it, I was starting to get like more and more depressed and it just started to, it was just so sad, which is fine. Like it's a sad story, but it's sad and it feels off. It just, it felt off to me and it's the off feeling part that was just icky, I guess. What feels off? Like, what do you mean? I think it's about, like I was saying, not recognizing the incredible support he's had. Yeah. And and identifying that, and he's like, I could have been in the gutter if I didn't get friends. Like, no, don't just give that lip service. Like, really explore that. Like, what is it about your life that has allowed you to progress to where you are and helped you pull yourself out of the, your really lowest points? Some yeah. of it's you, but a lot of it's the people around you. And rather than just giving like passing lip service, really dive into that and really look at how you are a part of a, a larger whole. Yeah. And how sobriety and recovery is not just about what what rehab center you go to and how many sober companions you have and things like that. Yeah. So it feels tone deaf a little. Yeah. Which makes it feel sad because I feel like he's not like he wrote the book a year too late. Like he needs another year of therapy to write the book. A year too early? Too early. That's right. <laughs> okay. See, time, the timeline was hard for me. <laughs> it was. Timeline, those are hard. Choose your own adventure. I didn't get the sense that he was, wasn't grateful for the support because he was, and maybe there's a difference between being grateful for the support and just recognizing how privileged you are to have it. Like maybe that's two different things because it does feel like he has a lot of gratitude for the people, 
not so much the structure that helped him, but the people who were in his life who was who were close to him. He had a lot of the same people helping him, and he really was like over the top about them. But he, maybe it was the level of self centeredness too. Well, I think he is like super self centered. He he talks a lot about AA. He's a very big. AA yeah, he's huge in AA, and he talked a lot about God and his faith. Like he found God in that in that kitchen. Yeah, in that kitchen, he saw God. Like he saw this gold, like light orb for like seven minutes, and like he literally saw it. It wasn't just some apparition. I don't know. To me, the book it was sad and it was depressing and. A lot of the stories were hard to hear, but it was also filled with this gratitude and such heart that I liked that part. I also liked when he hit Chevy Chase in the balls with the tennis ball. <laughs> I liked when he was hanging out with Bruce Willis, who sounds like <laughs> a dude that totally uh, has his shit together. 100%. Do you think? Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he has a drinking problem. No, he. that's one of the things yeah. that Matthew Perry said was that he was able to compartmentalize. You know, when he had to focus yeah. on work, he focused on work and work was the most important thing for him. When it was right. time to let his hair down, he did and, you know, rented the entire. <laughs> let his hair down. <laughs> singular hair. <laughs> rent the entire floor of a of a hotel. Yeah. And put a disco ball up. He was, yeah. he definitely sounds like the party guy. He's the, he's the guy that if you see him at the party, you know, it's going to be a good party. <laughs> Who? Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis or, or yeah. Matthew Perry? What happens if you see Matthew Perry at the party? I think that you, yeah, it's. It got weird at the end because he's like, and then my teeth fell out. He's like, and <laughs> I, I hate dentists. Like, what? Yeah. Wait, how he talked about that dentist? He has like a personal vendetta against this dentist. He went off on that dentist. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. And it it was really out of place. And I we never learned why his teeth fell out. Well, I think his teeth fell out because. Because of drugs? I think. I mean, when you're doing drugs and alcohol and cocaine and for 20 years, your teeth are going to fall out and hygiene isn't at the top of your list. I mean, you're probably not brushing and flossing every day. Was that, he didn't mention it, but I remember him being kind of weird during the reunion thing. Was that that? Yeah, that was okay, that. Okay, because he, he didn't tie that to the reunion because I thought he would be like, well, that's why yeah. I, I didn't say anything at the reunion uh, episode. But right. he never said anything about that. I know. I don't think he even mentioned the reunion. No, he didn't, which is – isn't that weird? I even think so because I think that was a big PR thing. Like that could be a big PR rehab thing to be like, hey, this is what was going yeah. on. Because after the reunion, there was so much speculation that he was still not okay. Because we – Friends fans have known – I think that he was first in the tabloids in, what, 1996 for going to rehab? Wasn't he the first celebrity who outwardly like went outed. to Yeah, going to rehab. Yeah. And so we knew, like, I always knew something's going on with Chandler. I don't know if we knew at the time, like, exactly what it was. But we always knew, even just watching old episodes back before this book came out, you knew Chandler's weight was fluctuating because of drugs. And alcohol. Yeah. Like we just knew, you know, you knew something was going on. I thought it was interesting where he said that friends never broke the fourth wall. There was that one scene that they shot that they never used where yeah. he was in a the bunny suit with what's his face? Sean Penn. Sean Penn. And he was saying, I you know, I was thinking of making the transition to serious acting, serious <laughs> dramatic acting. And Sean Penn's like, Good luck with that. And then he walks off. Yeah. But the, He's so that smoking was, a cigarette. Yeah. Breaking the fourth wall, which they never did. No. And I've been watching Friends with Kate and June and watching it again. And yeah. now I'm, I'm still watching it after having listened to the book. Yeah. And I feel like that book broke the fourth wall on Friends and I'm kind of not into it now. I know. I was thinking about that. Like I'm watching <laughs> it. I'm just keep looking at Chandler being like, you're not who I thought you were. Like, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's not, I, know, I, I don't want to be judgmental toward anyone with addiction and struggles, but I didn't like my trip into his brain. That's what I was saying before. It's such a, 
big jump between Chandler and Matthew Perry, which probably is something to say about his acting that he was able to do that because Chandler is so wholesome. Choose one character on that cast and it's not going to be him who has this story. And so it's such a departure and like it's just a mind bleep. And I'm like looking at his face and like while they're while the camera's on others and I'm like, what are you on? You know, yeah. like. Yeah. And he said he had to like he was never drunk on friends, but he was definitely hung over and he'd have to like lean on something because he was shaking. And so a lot of times he's leaning on like the table or the couch because he was shaking so much. And then like talking about the girls had a treadmill in the. So he could sweat out the alcohol. Yeah, but also I was like, okay, why are we not talking about how bleeped up it is that the girls had a treadmill backstage? Yeah, I would have liked to have had more Friends iconography. There was some, though, like when he talked about his... his... I was really into it when he was talking about Friends, but it wasn't that much. No. Well, when he was talking about his growing up and his friends, the brothers, I can't remember their names, he and they together came up with the, could I be any hotter? Like... That yeah. he came up with that style of yeah, speaking. With them. Yeah, with them. Well, he kept talking about how Chandler redefined the way America spoke. I know. And and I'm like, is it anything other than could I be anymore, blah, blah, blah? I know. Like, I don't think that really swept America the way he's remembering because no. I would say what changed the way we spoke more as far as like Gen X and growing up is like Tommy boy. Like I heard a lot of those growing up. Those are still, yeah. Quotes, but like, there's not a lot of like people just in every day. Aren't like, could I have any more coffee? Like that's not a, (laughs) like people aren't talking like that. And that's the only construction, right? Like, are there other, he said he was like, he sort of implied that he was a master at putting the emphasis in the wrong place place. in the sentence. And like, I didn't get that. I know. I think it's pretty much like, could I be any? Could it be any more overblown, <laughs> could you Matthew be Perry? Any more egotistical? I don't know. This book showed me he was all of that. Like he was an addict. He was egotistical. He still is egotistical, but he's also like full of gratitude and so human and full of faith. Didn't some of the gratitude ring hollow though? It didn't to me. I th- I think what I keep coming back to is the last that last chapter or part where he was watching the waves and then he was saying what he was seeing in the waves. Like I got teared up in that, like the faces that he saw in the waves. And then he went through all of the people in his life that he was thankful for. Like that really, it's also just a beautifully written book. Like his imagery. No, it is well-written. Yeah. Well, I I didn't think it was going to be that well-written. We buried the lead, Suzanne. Uh oh. What? What? What is the deal with Keanu Reeves? Oh, oh I know. Okay, twice he mentions I, it twice. twice. Like why? And then he mentioned it in a an interview, and he got some blowback, and he's like, "Sorry, I just picked a name. I should have used myself." Like, no, it's not. Sorry, <laughs> I just picked a name. You had written about it two separate times twice. in and your that, book. It's, it wasn't like in the same paragraph. No, it was like a hundred pages apart and he yeah. returned to it. And so he's talking about River Phoenix, working with River Phoenix. He loved him. And then he was like, how is it like in a world that takes like amazing souls or like minds, amazing minds like River Phoenix and Heath Ledger and yet Keanu Reeves still walks among the, among us. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? What? Like, he, what? And then it later is so on, random. He, he he makes a so, he loses somebody. I can't remember who. And he's like, Keanu Reeves walks among us. Like what? <laughs> yeah, the? He's like my friend died, but Keanu Reeves yeah. walks among and us. Then, That's like, why do you want Keanu Reeves to die? <laughs> then he was doing press for the book, and he was like, I'm so lucky to be alive and Keanu Reeves walks among us. Wait, he said that in an interview? Yes. Wasn't that what he said in an interview? Sorry. I, sh- I thought that's what he said in, in the interview. No, he didn't say that in the Diane Sawyer interview. Yeah, that's what he, That's where he said it, right? No, he didn't. He didn't say it. I thought she would ask him about that because so 
This was a huge thing on Twitter. And when I saw the Diane Sawyer interview, I looked up like to see if Matthew Perry was trending. And I was like, oh, he is. Let me see what people are saying. And it was all just dogging him and dragging him about this Keanu Reeves thing, which then I felt bad about because I was like. Oh, and he was talking about Chris Farley dying. Okay. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Chris Farley, he said that, you know, Chris Farley wasn't afraid of heroin. And that's obviously why he died. Right. So I'm just reading People, which I, I got to say, that's the first time in my life I've read <laughs> well, People. You're missing out. Dot com slash TV. Yeah. So he's apologizing for using Keanu Reeves in the book. He didn't use it in a okay an interview. in an interview. In a statement to People, Perry says, I'm actually a big fan of Keanu. I just chose a random name. My mistake. I apologize. I should have used my own name instead. I mean, it was a dumb mistake because it, and even in the book, it just kind of came out of nowhere. So I had someone message me on Instagram and she's like, I want to listen to the book, but I can't get past that Keanu Reeves thing. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I'm like, this is Twitter. Twitter has made this way too big. What did big. you say? Did I, you, were you like, it's not about Keanu Reeves? No. And, and I said, it's literally one second in like a 10-hour book. Please don't let that stand in the way of you exploring this book. And And so it made me feel bad for him because it was like a stupid mistake. But the fact that that's what people are – focusing on i think matthew perry's next book should be a 300 page takedown of keanu reeves <laughs> yeah it made me feel bad for him and i was like oh i hope he doesn't spiral because he was getting such bad press but because it, it's such a great book and i'm like you guys who the fuck cares about the keanu reeves comment like yeah well, it was stupid but get don't let that i don't know it's just like Twitter to take something that is just so inconsequential and stupid and just make it everything. You feeling bad about it is in, about him potentially spiraling then is interesting because didn't he say in the book that, wow, I can't remember what it was exactly, but you're sober until something goes wrong. You know, like. Yeah, he said, and there's always something. Came back to that a lot where if you struggle with addiction, you can be sober until something goes wrong. Something always goes wrong. Yeah. I think he said something like, and then something happened. And he's yeah. like, and something always happens. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And so now the Keanu Reeves thing happened. Right. So you're so thinking like, like, okay, maybe oh, he's God. not going to stay sober. Right. And he hasn't said publicly how long he's been sober this time. He's been asked, like in that Diane Sawyer, they asked him, I'm looking at a Washington Post article right now. And they are asking him, and he said that he's not saying it. I'm sober long enough that I felt very comfortable writing this book. Well, he talks about being in rehab during the pandemic, doesn't he? So it's yeah. fairly recently that he was in rehab, like after the Friends reunion. No, the Friends reunion, he was sober. He said that his therapist said, like, if you ever do take OxyContin again, you will need a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. And he's like, okay, that's that's enough for me. And that what I know, it seems like such a vain yeah. thing that you could just then be like, okay, I'm done. But he said that was it, so that he hasn't wanted it since. Well, and then he talks about he, – he goes into this long riff about quitting smoking and how hard it was to quit yeah, smoking. Yeah, that, that, that was the hardest. hypnotherapist that he sees all the time. and But that didn't even work, right? No. And then he's got, like, his team takes all of the cigarettes out of his house. And yeah. the group of people meet to determine exactly how many cigarettes he can have and how often and how quickly he should go out. And he's not saying this with any hint of, like, awareness of how unreal this is for most right. people who are struggling with addiction. And I wonder, Suzanne, because you have your other podcast, The Sober Mom Life. I think we're going to do a, a release on both of this. So I think it'll be on there too. Okay. And you, you talk about addiction a lot there. And is this a book that helps regular people who are struggling with addiction? Because I think that's a really interesting question be yeah. because it gets to the level of privilege he has and how he sometimes takes that privilege for granted, which made me feel icky. 
I don't come from a place of being addicted, so it's hard for me to talk from that. I I don't know if it would be a book that's if someone is in active addiction that they would want to listen to, that they would find inspiring. I think maybe for someone who has some sober time under their belt, I think it's an interesting book just to hear how someone who has the world at his feet and who has everything that addictive substances affect everyone if they take them. They don't discriminate. And so like I think in that way, if you're sober for a while, also it's just a beautiful book. I just loved – I didn't love so much the rehab stuff, recounting of, yeah, the timeline, all of that. It's just the way he writes and the imagery and with the waves and the vistas and the talking about all of these things that he's grateful for and his faith. I loved all of those parts. I think those would be really helpful to someone in sobriety. I, I noticed that as we, you know, we were listening to the book. So he was, you know, he was reading the book to us. And after a while, I was like, I just don't want to hang out with Matthew Perry anymore. You know? Like, yeah. I'd hang out with Chandler Bing the whole time, but I yeah. just don't want to hang out with Matthew Perry. Yeah, he kind of seems like a downer. Yeah. And I don't know. I wish I could put my finger on it, but I'm having you don't a really trust hard him. time. Well, I definitely don't trust him. But okay. <laughs> Me either then, when you say it like that. <laughs> There's an edge to him that is uncomfortable to me. I don't think it's related to the substance abuse. I think it's just partly who he is. I, I don't know. I'm totally talking out of my, you know, beyond my knowledge. But there was an edge that I found uncomfortable. Huh. That's interesting. I don't think I picked up on that. Okay, never never mind. <laughs> never mind. You're I, wrong. I retract my <laughs> You're wrong. How could you be so wrong? How could you be so wrong? Could I have could any you less be edge? Any more wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right? Like that's the only thing. Yeah. The hardest thing for me was just this separating Chandler from Matthew Perry and friends is such an important <laughs> This is going to sound stupid. It's just such an important part of my life. Any time. <laughs> like, you I laugh. forget which of your kids was like, you're like, who are your best friends? And that was like, Harper when she was three. She's like, Monica, Rachel. <laughs> no, she would never say Monica. Oh, she Rachel, said, I said, Phoebe. I, no. They're my no, best no, friends. No. I said, Harp, who are your best friends? And she was three because my She's been watching it. She knows it better than I do, by the way. Uh, Yeah, I was like, who are your best friends? She's like, hmm. I don't know. That's really hard. I think probably Ross and then Rachel. (laughs) She ranked them. And I was like, hey, that's good. She probably thought best friends. Yeah, best friends. Well, also, she was like three, so she didn't have like best friends. David Schwimmer sounds pretty amazing, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh my like God. He, the was, fact he that, was like, let's negotiate together. And he was the top earner. Yeah. And so that right. only meant that he was the high water mark. Like he was yeah. going to make them all this money. And that was early on. That was early on. And it paid off for all of them, but it was a really smart business move. I, I really respected that. Yeah. And that was the that was the first time a cast had ever done that. I remember when that happened that they negotiated together. Like normal casts don't do that. Do you know who Craig Bierko is? I looked him up. Okay, so I looked him up too. He's Chandler's. He was one of Chandler's best friends who was offered, or not Chandler's best friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> Matthew Perry. Yeah, yeah. Who was offered the part of Chandler? And Matthew Perry said <laughs> he was going between two shows, and he's like, "Should I accept this part of Chandler for Friends Like Us or this other show?" And Matthew Perry had read the Friends script over and over, and he wanted that part, but he was still being like an alien baggage handler. And, uh, <laughs> and then so he said, you have to go with Friends Like Us. Cause, and he was like, damn it, I have to tell him the truth. Like, I have to be a good friend. And he was like, yeah, I, you have to take that part. And then he turned it down. He turned it. He's the one who turned down friends. And Craig Bierko was on Sex and the City. He's the guy with ADD on Sex and the City who dates Carrie and like plays her. He's a jazz musician. Anyone who knows Sex and the City knows who I'm talking about. And he like plays her like a jazz instrument or whatever. And he's like all over the place. He's hot. He's got a hat. Yeah. He could have been Chandler, man. And then he said that he didn't talk to him for like years after that. And he's like, sorry, I just couldn't. I'm like, yeah, like bad life decision, Craig. 
And Hank Azaria was his good friend. I know. And he said Hank was always in the gym, which totally had to be when he was making Along Came Polly. Because <laughs> he oh. was jacked in that movie. <laughs> he was jacked in he that was. movie. He was. <laughs> and he was the one who had the money because he was... Yes. He was a voice on The Simpsons. Yes, yeah, so many of them. He was Mo and... And so that explains why he was Phoebe's boyfriend who had to go to Minsk. Yes, totally. I love all of these crossovers too, like that Bruce Willis, that he lost a bet to Matthew Perry and that's why lost he was on Friends. Lost a bet about the whole nine yards. They, yeah. He didn't think the whole nine yards would be good. Yeah. And he ended up being, it ended up being the top movie. And so then he had to do like a three run episode on Friends. And Julia Roberts, were they dating when she was on Friends? I think, yes. She said she wanted to be on it and she would only shoot with him if it, well, if it was with his storyline. And that's what started the courtship, the faxing courtship back and forth. Yeah, they were faxing back and forth. Like, this is the stuff that I thought was really great. Yeah. But when it really started to go down, and maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe it, it just, uh, I don't know. It, when it started to get really dark, it just started to get really sad. Well, it was dark during the Friends part, too. But it was just that then you had the Friends stuff, you know? like Yeah, you, you had – right. And, like, what is he doing now? He keeps talking about shopping screenplays and shopping scripts. And he thought he was talking to M. Night Shyamalan, but he wasn't. <laughs> he was just talking to a waiter. He was talking to, like, N. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he was, like, partying with him. <laughs> and, and, like, uh, Adam McKay. He thought he was yeah. talking to Adam McKay. He's, He's like, like, this is Adam McCobb or something. <laughs> <laughs> What is he doing like right now? So we talk about his ego and how he really wants to be in the public eye. This Washington Post article said he remains astonished at, quote, how big this book has become and how much my face is back in the public eye. Right now, I'm everywhere. The paparazzi's back. The offers are coming. Television shows, movies. He was offered a television drama the previous day, he said, but it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Oh, come. Yeah, so that's that's what I don't like. Yeah, I mean I I think that's what it is though. I totally understand that cuz that's the hard that's the hardest part for me is to look at Chandler and now I see Matthew Perry. And yeah. like I don't want that friends to me is so special and like every time I watch the series finale I cry I cry because it's over again and I'm like oh you could just when Joey puts the turkey on his head do you cry (laughs) no but I'm like you know and I think oh I could just start over and I'm like yeah but it's done like the fact that that era of television is done never to be done again is really really sad and because it's so special I love it so much that I don't want to see Matthew Perry when I look at that. I don't want to see David Schwimmer. I don't want to see Lisa Kudrow. Like I want to see, I want to see my friends. I want to see Ross and Chandler and Rachel. Have you watched Friends since you finished this book? No. You should because it's different. I know. I'm not into it now. It did break the fourth wall, which they were right not to ever do. Yeah. We do have to say because we ranked our favorite Friends characters a few episodes back on brand new information. And I just have to tell you that Matthew Perry himself ranked said Joey that high. Joey was number one. Joey was the was the funniest character and he was. I have him at the top of my list because he was the funniest. Joey was never supposed to be likable. He was supposed to be the, you know, this tough like womanizer. And he turned him into the most likable, dumbest, funniest guy on television. Yeah, I I did think of you when I heard that part in the book. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a good character. He's a really good character. He's so funny. But he's is he better than Ross and Rachel? Yes. I I think that Joe I mean just Joey can say any line. I know. You can say he can deliver any line. But so can he, Ross. Just, Ross absolutely Ross can, can too. Yeah, Ross can too. And Rachel, Rachel can too. That's what puts those three apart. I don't think the other three can do that as much. Phoebe can. Monica's last. We know that. Does this move Chandler up or down? Stays the same. I have to separate Chandler from Matthew. 
I have to do it to, for my sanity and for my mental health. That's my boundary. <laughs> <laughs> Your daily affirmation. Yeah. Matthew Perry and Chandler Bing are separate people. They, they are. They will never overlap in my mind or in my heart. <laughs> okay, let's rate it. Out of 10, Goodreads, what do you give this? A five. Wow, really? Yeah, really. Wow. 8.5. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, you heard it here first. Wow. All right. This is fun. We should we should do more. I want I want to hear Ross's book now as long as there's no like, you know, prostitutes and <laughs> cocaine and Are there for Ross? Oxycontin. I can't picture David Schwimmer doing that. No, that's what I said. As lo- well, could you picture Chandler? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, okay. Good job, love Lamu. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Brand New Information. If you liked what you heard, you can like, subscribe, share, um, print out copies to give to your family. If you don't like it, uh, just try us again next week because we're trying to get better. We're always trying to get better. Okay, but also rate it five stars. Is five stars the max? I don't know. Okay, rate it six stars. Six stars. Uh, yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at brandnewinfopod.twitter.com. Oh, good job. And on Instagram at brandnewinformationpod. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye. Why are we doing an ad again? So that we can tell people about brand new information, a pop culture and political podcast. Say it in a way that doesn't sound like game show host. Okay. Do you want to be in a room of overeducated douchebags and feel comfortable? Brand new information is for you. What's it going to take to put you in this podcast today? We have brand new information on sale for free. Free. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. We might not break the political and pop culture news of the week. But we put it right back together for you. That's right. Listen wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.